0: Hey, welcome in everybody, my name is Tim Gillespie, I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church in Redlands, as well as the teaching pastor for our Crosswalk Global, most of you know who I am, so thanks for um, hanging out with me, and I gotta tell you, um, right now, I'm in Jakarta, yeah, I'm in Indonesia. And let me tell you the reason why. The reason why is because we are planting a church in Indonesia. We're working with um, the only English-speaking church out there, and they've had a desire to plant, so we're working with them. So Pastor Ron Aguilera and I, the executive pastor, um, we are out there checking it out, making sure it's the right place and the, the, it's a good partnership. And one of the things we're going to be needing in the next few months is we're probably going to be needing a missionary who wants to go out there and help us run the church. So if you have a pastoral background and that's something that you might be interested in doing, hit us up. Um, Um, Ron at crosswalkvillage.com would be cool, or info or whatever, and hit us up and let us know that maybe you'd be interested in spending a year or two over in Indonesia helping us plant that church. Um, It'd be an incredible opportunity. Uh, So, so amazing. Um, So much other stuff going on, but we are here on our final week of our Unbroken series, and I hope it's been a huge blessing. To you, um, we hope it was meaningful, and the responses that we've been getting from this series on all of our campuses have been—if you want to know the truth—they've been pretty overwhelming. People have been really appreciative that we've been willing to talk about this, in particular, um, mental health and wellness, as well as scripture, and um, seem to have appreciated the approach that we've taken so far. We could go on a lot of different, a lot more, and different topics, um, particularly about this, but. We think five weeks is a good way to step into that. And um, what we want is that every one of our churches is a safe place to struggle, to have conversations, and of course, to seek help when it comes to your mental health and wellness. And so... um, So yeah, that's a a big deal. And um, here in Redlands, our sermon is being given by our new pastor for discipleship and uh, Crosswalk Global Discipleship Director, uh, Pastor John Ciccarelli, who you will get a chance to meet and get to know over the next few months as he begins to work on our discipleship process that we can cascade to all our different churches. And we're just really excited about what he brings. We will forever miss Pastor Mike Rinas, but we are really excited about uh, this new pastor coming on. So, um, so yeah. So today we're talking about something pretty significant in our mental health journey, in particular in the mental health journey of Jesus, right? Often we encounter Jesus, we feel like we're kind of meeting Jesus the superhero, right? The guy who is perfect is human, sure, but uh, like human plus, right? So it doesn't feel like we have all that much in common at times, even though Jesus says, of course we have much in common. It's like, you know, you watch so many superhero movies, it it almost becomes silly, right? We can't really identify, but they're kind of fun to watch. We never want to get to that point with the story of Jesus. That's really important um, for us. We don't wanna to get to that point in the story of Jesus because we really should be able to identify with Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this particular instance actually really gives us an opportunity to see how Jesus struggled with some really, really, really difficult thing. So, we know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, but let me just give you a little bit of background. I've had the opportunity to be in Israel a few times and um, the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of down at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. There is now, I believe a Greek Orthodox church or it might be a Russian Orthodox, I think it's Greek, um, Greek Orthodox church there on the site where they think Jesus would have knelt and prayed. However, you go to the other church, I think it's called the Church of All Nations, and it has its own olive grove and and it's really beautiful. It's an ancient church as well, and uh, we always take a picture sitting on the front steps, um, right there at the base of the Mount of Olives. But where Jesus would have been would have been quite serene, quite quiet. He would have been relatively alone. Right now, the churches are like super crowded most of the time, but um, but it would have been it would have been a very probably beautiful scene. Um, I grew up in La Sierra, and back in the day, when I grew up there, they had orange groves. Now, orange groves and olive groves are very different. Orange groves are, um, they're very packed pretty tight, and there's rows, and there's trees, and there's, you know, if you've ever been around orange trees, they can kind of come in on you a little bit. Olive trees have this big trunk. They go up a little bit taller. There's a lot of space underneath. So this is kind of the context, at least the physical context in which we see Jesus. Of course, when we talk about the other context, we understand that it's been a pretty stressful time for Jesus. A lot of fear about what's coming next. We're coming to the story's apex, right? And you can feel that when it's happening in Jesus's life. And we, by the way, can feel that same sort of thing too when we're coming to a to like a critical decision in our life or some really big, tough thing. Jesus had a tough week, right? It started by him being celebrated and coming in at the um, triumphal entry. And now we're at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was probably tired. It had been a stressful week. It had been exhausting. It was now late. So he lacked Sleep, which as we know, sometimes when you lack sleep, it makes it hard to make decisions. He brought some close friends with him. However, he didn't seem to be feeling great. So let's jump in. We're reading from the Matthew story, the Matthian story, I think we call it at times. And it says this, Jesus, Matthew 26, sorry. Uh, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over to pray. By the way, the the term Gethsemane Gethsemane means oil press. And he clearly wanted them to stay awake because he says, keep watch, is um, one of the translations, right? Keep watch while I go over to pray. And he brought the big three. He brought his friends. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. Now, the term anguished and distressed is good. It's not great, sorrowful. Uh, overwhelmed with sorrow, very sorrowful. Other translations say crushed with anguish, right? This is probably better. He was crushed with anguish, which by the way, sounds like anxiety or depression, right? Even even grief. And we wonder if there was any maybe suicidal ideation. He brought his closest friends because he knew he could at least try to depend on them. He knew it was not a good time for him to be alone. So I want to stop here, because as we talk about, you know, dealing with these types of feelings, depression, anxiety, anguish, grief, certainly, I I have this question for you. Do you know who you can depend on when you are in need of some emotional support? And this is important. It's more than just a phone number for an emergency contact. Who will be there for you? If you don't know, you need to think on that today, because we all need our people. And if you don't know who your people are, I need you to stop and think and figure out who it is that can come around you and give you support, that you trust enough to come around you and give support. Now, Jesus picked three men that he thought were going to be his ride or dies, right? Who are yours? Who are the people that you surround yourself with? It may be a spouse, it may be family, it may be friends from a long time ago. I don't know who it is, but you need to make sure you know that when you get into a crisis situation there's someone that you can call. And Jesus was in a crisis situation because this is what he tells them. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Keep an eye on me. I might do something. I might do something that might hurt myself. Right? It seems as if Jesus was suffering with wanting to end it all. Now, Commentators go back and forth on this. There's not real consensus that Jesus was kind of having suicidal ideations necessarily, um, that he was, he was struggling with that mentally. But the words he uses include the term death, right? My soul's crushed with grief to the point of death. I'm struggling so hard. So were they on kind of a, kind of a suicide watch? It seemed that Jesus put something in place that they would be mindful of him. It seems that there was something serious happening. And, and we know that this can be true because you can be so torn up with grief that you want to end it all. And we talked about suicide and suicidal ideation last week. And, and it's the reality that sometimes you want to hurt yourself to avoid doing something that is coming. I had those feelings once. I've told this story before, and so I won't belabor the point, but I had this story, this feeling once when I was a student missionary. I got there before all the different student missionaries got there, and I was by myself. I had left my girlfriend. I had left my family. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was exhausted after the travel. I wasn't exactly sure what I would be doing when I got there. And I thought, seriously, like if I broke my arm, they'd have to send me home, and I looked at the rocks that were there and I thought, you know what? I could do this. And then it got the better of me because A, I'm scared and I don't like pain. And B, I knew that probably wasn't something that I should do. I mean, have you ever experienced grief or, or depression or anxiety or anguish to the point where death seems like it might be a relief? Right. What we see is that they're mitigating circumstances that are leading Jesus to think of death as an option. Even though he doesn't obviously move into that, he says, I am, I am anguished to the point of death. Like, I, this is difficult. The next phrase Jesus says is telling. He goes on a little farther and with his face to the ground, so he's, I don't know if you've ever prayed like that before. Like really in the midst of it, you're, 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 you're prostrate on the ground, not just in reverence, but in pain. He says, my father, if it is possible, Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Is there any way that I don't have to go through with this? Can you take it away from me? I'd really rather not. Right? The problem with this text, it's not a problem. But the difficulty I have with this text is that he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet your will to be done Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. There's this, and we've dealt with this before in text, this idea that, because I think it was the temptations when we were talking about this, um, the idea that because there's a period and, and one space, there's not even two spaces anymore. You don't even use a typewriter and do two spaces. A new sentence has one space. And then immediately, oh, let me solve this problem for you. Here's the problem. I don't wanna do this. If there's anything you can do to take this cup away from me, do it. My bet is Jesus was sitting in that thought before he got to the next thought. And this is the problem with the way it's written. Again, problem's probably not the right word, but this is the difficulty in understanding it, that I am suffering, I struggle, I don't want to do this. Well, if your will be done. And it gives us a false sense that these things are fixed quite easily. Jesus wasn't on the ground for five minutes. He was on the ground long enough that they fell asleep, as we know. So what if these sentences were separated by more than just a period and a space? What if it were hours? What if they were separated by tears and time and trial? We read this too quickly. And the statement's not a small one, by the way, that he says... He says, I don't want to do this. Can you take this from me? I don't want to drink this cup. This is not something I'm looking forward to. And he's weeping and he's crying in this and he's in anguish. He's being crushed by anguish in that thought. And then he says something that should not be taken lightly. And we shouldn't get to too quickly because he's serious about it. He says, but I want your will to be done in my life. You have to understand that to lean on the will of God is no small decision. It's a process of trust. It is a process of suffering. It is not easily decided upon. So these are not flippant remarks that Jesus makes while he's suffering a little. He is in anguish, weeping, crying, in a fetal position on the ground, and he finally straightens up and says, okay, but your will, not mine. Maybe it's just me, but thinking that these things happened very quickly, often or always, I suppose, made me feel like I wasn't very good at trusting God's will. I suffer over wanting to do God's will or wanting God's will to happen in my life. Yeah, sure, sure, kind of philosophically I understand that, but when God's will is absolutely not what I want to do, I don't like the sentence so much. But he seemed to straighten himself out at that point and say, okay, not my will though, your will. So then he returns to the disciples and what does he do? He finds them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch me for even one hour? So I guess it was an hour. He was disappointed in them. By the way, this never helps with what we're dealing with. We often find ourselves feeling that we are alone in dealing with our issues. And when someone who is supposed to be watching out for us isn't, it can be devastating. My bet is if I ask this question, when was the last time someone disappointed you, you would have an answer for it. You would know exactly who it was, when it was, and what it did to you. Because we all have these instances. But they stink particularly when we are struggling with our mental health. So here's the thing. We have circles of support, but when we have circles of support, what we need to make sure is that we have circles of support and we have concentric circles of support, an ever-widening group of support so that if one person in one of our circles disappoints us, we have other resources because somebody's going to disappoint us. Somebody's not going to stay awake and keep watch over us. We need to have a second and sometimes third line of defense, especially when we know we're in a really fragile or vulnerable mental state. And So he says, listen, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I know you want to be with me, but I need your help. I need you guys to stay up. I need you to stay awake and watch me because I'm struggling really hard right now. And all the times I've supported you, now I need your help. And it's fascinating, right? For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I mean, does this tell us that our our bodies and minds fight against each other or that there's a duality between our bodies and minds? I don't think so. I think it's the opposite, in fact. I think what it's saying is that what is happening in our bodies is indelibly linked to what is happening in our minds, right? Um, If you read the series guide um, this week, which I I, I certainly hope you did. It It was great. Um, I really want to thank uh, dr kenny boyd for for writing it for us, but he mentions like sometimes when we 're just tired like it's hard to make good decisions sometimes when we're hungry it's really hard to make good decisions right i I liken this sometimes to if you 've ever worked in an organization that has an i t guy um, or a woman certainly um, it feels like the quintessential is an i t guy but There's certainly women who do this, who roll their eyes just as well as the guys who come in and do this for you. When they show up, what's the first thing they do? Did you restart it? It's the first question they always ask, it feels like. And I'm sure the IT guys listening to this are like, man, it's a little more complicated than that. And I'm probably sure that it is more complicated than that. However, we often start there. In fact, um, now I just restart so that I can answer that question. Yep, I have done that completely. They'll do it anyway, but I appreciate the fact, I think they appreciate the fact that I try to do it. How do we kind of reset our mental state physically If those two things are indelibly linked together. Remember, we are not dualists. We don't believe in body and soul. We believe God created the whole thing and it's good. He breathed life into us. And so what's happening in our bodies is affecting our emotions as well. So I've got a list of 10 things. And they're really simple things, right? Take a walk, take a bath, take a nap, eat something, but eat something healthy. Call a friend, find something funny right? Go to Instagram and find, you know, those videos of little animals. I saw one yesterday. It was, it was a, a bullfrog and a lizard and they were trying to eat and they had put voices over it. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Right? Say a prayer, like a real one. Seek silence to quiet what's going on in your head. Read a hopeful story to remind you that there's hope in the world. Stand in the grass with no shoes on and ground yourself to this earth that was made and was good. These may seem silly. I I get it. I'm not trying to. Not trying to. Be obvious here. But they're a helpful way to get a restart with our mental health because we're stressed out. We're pushed. We're fomoed out. Whatever we can do to find some ground in our lives, to slow down and to let Jesus fill us up a bit will be helpful. This is actually the work of discipleship. And if you read these, you understand that, interestingly enough, some of them sound a lot like the spiritual disciplines because God's been trying to get us to engage physically with our spirituality for a long time. Every faith tradition has spiritual disciplines, by the way, and Christianity is no different. Fasting, prayer, silence, service, solitude. We, the list goes on and on. We do these things because sometimes we need a physical reset to our mental state and to our spiritual state as well. So, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. He's finally accepting, right? Right? He's acquiescing to God's plan. He he seems to have renewed vigor. He uses the negative, right? If if this cup cannot, what he means is, Lord, I think I understand your will. And it feels like I'm I'm beginning to understand that if your will is to be done, it's gonna be done through me. So it seems like I'm gonna have to drink this cup. He might not get away from the suffering. It might be God's will for him. So he doubles down on obedience and trust, right? He doubles down on obedience and trust. Then he returns to them again, and he finds them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. This is the second time that they failed him. He didn't bother to wake them up this time. He goes back and he prays the third time. But I gotta tell you, um, the prayer session for Jesus was not just a one and done. Right? Sometimes we need to engage in the practice of prayer for prolonged moments of time in order to really understand the will of God for our lives. Great times to pray are when you're driving or exercising or walking or just being. It doesn't always have to be on your knees. You can incorporate prayer. I used to have a pastor I worked with. And um, we were in San Diego. I used to drive up to, to La Sierra for our... Um, about an hour and a half drive for those of you who are not around this area. And um, <clears throat> the pastor loved it. In fact, he never turned in mileage. And I was like, hey, why don't you turn in mileage? when you do Because he made a point of, of telling me, oh, I don't turn in that mileage. I was doing my report. He said, I don't turn in that mileage. I said, why? He said, because I'm praying the whole time and I'm praying and I'm working. And so I don't feel like I need to turn. It's the time I use to pray. And I was like, you're keeping your eyes open, right? Because of course he was. Right. So Jesus, Jesus goes and he prays, and um, so it says this. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Saying the same things again. So he's repeating. He's dwelling in the conversation, making sure he understands God's will for his life. And for what he's about to go through. Perhaps we should learn something here. Maybe we should learn that you can't rush prayer. Understanding, knowledge of God's will doesn't always come fast. We hear this in scripture again and again, right? Pray unceasingly, keep praying. Not because God is silent, but because we're often hard of hearing. So if we're not sure, keep praying. And if we're not sure, keep praying. And if we're not sure, keep praying. And if we're sure, keep praying. Right, so he comes back to the disciples a third time. And he's like, listen, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. And this is kind of, a, kind of a throwback to him saying, my time is not yet here yet. He's saying, my time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Seems like there's a bit of frustration on Jesus's part. Perhaps their threefold fa- failure, by the way, is a precursor to the denial that we see coming in Peter's life. But what Jesus wanted them to know is that his time had come. All the anticipation, all the anxiety, all the depression, all the turmoil in the waiting, now it begins. So he says, listen, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer's here. And we know the rest of the story, right? Judas shows up, kisses him on the cheek. Peter pulls out a knife. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on, right? Beatings, trials, suffering denial, and even more. This hardly ends the suffering of Jesus, but sometimes the anticipation can really mess with us mentally. But see, something happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that's important for us to know, and it's important for us in our mental health journey. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is vulnerable, and we don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to be out of control, and we don't like to be in a situation that requires trusting someone else. This is just human nature, right? We get disappointed, we are failed, and sometimes we fail. We deal with anxiety, with depression, we deal with fear, we deal with anguish, and we deal with despair, right? But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Jesus chooses to be vulnerable to his God and even to his guys. Listen, vulnerability is an incredible trait, and it's often squeezed out in our culture, particularly in male-dominated cultures. We are told not to feel, to be strong, to fight through it, and to do it alone. Well, fascinatingly, the gospel tells us exactly the opposite. Feel deeply, struggle together, and lean on God's understanding, not our own. You see, we live in a world that wants us to anesthetize. I was... uh, I was at a David Wilcox concert at the Belly Up in San Diego, one of my favorite artists. And um, he, was, he was playing guitar. He's a singer-songwriter, so like the stuff's kind of quiet. It's very beautiful. And the Belly Up is a bar. And the bar's in the back of the place. right? So he's playing, and it's just overwhelmingly loud coming from the bar. And he stops about three songs in, and he says, listen, so appreciative of the Belly Up. So glad to be here. Thank you for hosting this. But I gotta tell you, I struggle sometimes when I'm playing in a bar. And the reason why I'm play- I struggle when I'm playing in a bar is because my songs are about you feeling and emoting and 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 being touched deeply to the core of who you are and connecting. It's like they're emotional. And what the bar is telling you to do is to anesthetize. Just make it numb. Don't be vulnerable in your emotions. In fact, ingest things that help you not to be vulnerable at all. And he said, I just, I'm struggling tonight because a lot of you are going back there and having a great time and I don't want to stop you from doing that. But if you really want to be part of what I'm doing tonight, I'm going to ask that you move forward, move your chairs forward. Or if you want to come up on the stage, come up on the stage. Not a huge place. There were probably 75 people who came up on the stage and just sat on the ground. And he was able to play and all of a sudden, man, the feeling in the room changed. The bar got quieter, whether they were being respectful, I'm sure they kept serving. But all of a sudden, the concert took on a very different tone because we were allowed to feel. Jesus in the story feels deeply to the point of death, anguish, despair. He doesn't do it alone. He brings people, he brings his community, his closest community to watch him. They were disappointing, but he brought them there so that he could be vulnerable in front of them. We are told that we're to anesthetize and that's the way we're supposed to live rather than leaning deeply into our emotions, leaning deeply, Deeply into an understanding of our mental health, taking care of it, sharing about it, getting healthier through that process, getting help with those tough emotions, and being deeply present in each other's lives. The reason why churches should be talking about mental health is that our mental health impacts our faith. And while faith doesn't necessarily fix our mental health, we know that being part of a community of belonging does help community matters, purpose matters God's will matters and our understanding of who God is and what he does for us in the midst of our mental health issues and health it, it matters and when we're allowed to feel a whole range of emotions we become healthier and we become more human I'm going to end today like I began which is simply this. I'm not a therapist. I can't tell you what you're feeling or why. I'm a pastor and a theologian. And so I want to tell you about the God that I love and that I serve. And when it comes to your mental health, wherever you are on the journey, healthy, unhealthy, struggling, breaking, broken, or healing, know this. That God listens, God understands, and God stays. Pray with me today. Lord, thank you for those three things. Those three things that are the baseline of our identity, the baseline of our understanding of who you are, and hopefully these three things are the beginning of our journey towards health and wholeness thank you for being with us on our journey. In your name I pray. Amen.